morning, everyone. I know about you, but I was blessed by the choir leading us in worship. Let's give them another hand. You guys came on a great Sunday because we're launching a new series through the book of James. This is one of my favorite books in the New Testament. James is one of the most practical books, and it's going to encourage a lot of you today. Um, as I was thinking about this series, I was thinking in God's sovereignty, it could not have come at a better time. Many of you have uh, been through health crisis or are going through um, health issues right now, family challenges, uh, trials of many shapes and kinds. So this, this book's going to be really encouraging to you. Before we jump into the message today, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you um, for the music that we sing to you, that we do believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit. And Father, we know that down here we often struggle. And many within the sound of my voice are going through trials of various shapes, sizes, and colors. And God, we're aware of that. We're also aware of our own humanity, God. And we pray you forgive us for where we sin against you in our thought, our word, and our deed. And God, give us pure hearts. As we look into your word and the book of James... Help us to understand it, speak to our hearts, and we pray that we'd be forever changed through your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you'll take out your listening guide, uh, we have a lot of ground to cover. A little bit of introduction to the book. Um, James is called one of the most practical books, and what Proverbs and Ecclesiastes is in the Old Testament known as wisdom literature, James is known as wisdom literature of the New Testament. And what's interesting, if you'll read the book of Proverbs, and here's a good challenge for you in the upcoming month of August, whatever day it is, you read that chapter in Proverbs, um, and then you'll go through the book of Proverbs in a whole month. James is kind of like the Proverbs of the New Testament, and he, he kind of gets straight to the point. If you look at your listening guide, of the 108 verses, 54 are imperatives or commands. So basically every other verse is a command. So James is like, I don't want to beat around the bush. I want to get straight to the heart of the matter. So some scholars have said James is kind of like a commentary of the Sermon on the Mount, where what Jesus said, blessed are the pure in spirit, blessed are the pure in heart, all those uh, uh, beatitudes in Matthew 5, James is kind of like the application of how to do that. So just a little preview for the next few weeks, uh, James is going to talk about uh, wisdom and what that looks like. He's going to talk about temptations and he's going to talk about judging others. How many of you enjoy critical people? Anybody? I didn't think so. Uh, he's going to talk about uh, how we're not to show favoritism to the rich or poor or to treat everyone equally uh, because everyone is someone for whom Christ died. He's going to talk about sickness and the importance of having prayer covering and uh, having the elders come and pray, anointing some with oil. He's going to talk about the tongue. I know none of us have challenges with the tongue, right? Watch you, you're like, I shouldn't have said that. Um, so James is, um, it's been said, there's enough needles in this haystack to prick the conscience of every Christian. So uh, if you're listening, you're going to be convicted in a good way. So it's kind of like this. For those of you who have ever been to the gym and you put some weight on the bar, the resistance produces strength. So whenever we go through uh, trials, whenever God's trying to teach us something, that resistance we feel internally is good, 
because it produces fortitude and strength of character. Um, something about James uh, we'll, we'll discover is he's the half-brother of Jesus. And throughout James's entire life, uh, from what we could tell from Scripture, he didn't believe in Jesus. Could you imagine being Jesus's brother? And, you know, like you, you come home from school and Mary and Joseph's like, how did you do? And he's like, well, I scored an A. And it was, Jesus, how did you do? Well, I saved the world today. <laughs> it's like, it, it's hard to live up to that standard. So um, James was um, drastically, his life drastically changed. We see this in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 7, how Jesus, when he appeared, he spent 40 days on the earth after his resurrection, and he appeared to many people, including his brother James. So can you imagine that appearance, what it looked like? Jesus coming up to James and like, do you believe in me now? And James repents and becomes a believer. And Jesus is like, by the way, you're going to be a pastor now. All right. I don't know if he told him that, but I could just imagine the conversation. And we know from history that James became the leader at the church in Jerusalem. So he went from being an unbeliever to leading up the basically the core where Christianity came out of the church at Jerusalem. He has a nickname of Camel Knees. Because he spent so much time praying, they say his knees were deformed from his, his time of prayer. So he's going to tell us about prayer. Um, according to church history, Josephus tells us that James was stoned to death because of his faith in AD 62. So a lot of scholars believe that James was the earliest book in the New Testament, perhaps written as early as AD 46. So just, you know, look 10 years plus after Jesus resurrected. So this is going to be an important book. So as we look into this, just preview of today's message. Today we're going to talk about trials. How either you're in a trial, you're coming out of a trial, or you're getting ready to head into a trial. And we're going to read James 1 through 8. And as you turn there and you're listening to God in your Bible, I want you to think about the last six months. How many of you, don't raise your hand, have been through a hardship? Pretty much all of us would raise our hand. I knew this week, I, I laughed with my wife and I was like, whenever I preach on a certain topic, sometimes God tests me with that. So this week, my wife got covered in poison oak. Her kids got it. Um, the check engine and lights in both of her cars are going off. You know you're in a trial where even your lawnmower check engine repair goes off. It's just like, man, I must be preaching on James this week. All right, so James 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 8 and then break it down to see how to have joy in the midst of a trial. If you read with me, James, a bondservant, of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad greetings my brethren count it all joy when you fall into various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces per- patience or perseverance but let patience have its perfect work that you may be complete and perfect lacking nothing if any of you lacks wisdom Let him ask of God who gives to all liberally or freely and without finding reproach and it will be given to him. But then James gives us a caveat. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For not let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double minded man, unstable in all of his ways. May God bless his holy and fallible word. So today we're going to talk about how to have joy in the midst of a storm. Many of you, as I talk, find yourself in a storm. In James, it's interesting how he starts his book off. He introduces himself 
And then he says, consider it joy. Be happy when you face various trials. Now, how many of you, that's your first instinct? Praise God, I'm going through a hard time. Hallelujah, my check engine light's on. Hallelujah, my bank account is down to zero. I mean, how do you consider it joy? We're going to talk about that. And we're going to talk about some lessons James gives us on how not just to survive the storm, but how to thrive and how to have joy and peace even in the midst of the storm. So if you look at your listening guide, the first point is this. You need to pause to consider the calls. Pause to consider the calls. In verses 1 through 2, James says, whenever you fall into various trials, consider, count it all joy. Now the word count, if you're taking notes, um, this is kind of like an analysis. This is like surveying, taking a look at what's going on, taking a step back. So whenever you're going through a trial, you have to pause and consider the calls. God, why? Because every trial is a teacher. And every teacher is trying to impart to you something. And we're going to talk about later in the message how there's a difference between trials and temptation. But look how James starts in verse 1, his greeting. He says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. Not about you, but if I was the half-brother of Jesus, and by the way, you're like, half-brother Jesus, how does that work? Well, Jesus existed forever as the eternal word, the eternal son of God, and he took on a human body through the Virgin Mary. So all of his siblings or half-brothers and sisters, because Joseph wasn't his dad. So I think most of you get that. But if I was the half-brother of Jesus, I would probably name drop a little bit. Like, hey, by the way, you should listen to what I'm saying because Jesus was my brother. And if you want to know anything about God, I lived with him for 30 years. I mean, wouldn't you name drop a little bit? But James didn't, because James had humility. He realized if it wasn't for the grace of God, if Jesus didn't appear to him after the resurrection, he could have persisted in unbelief. But the grace of God came to James and the grace of God has come to you so that you can believe. So he calls himself a bondservant. A bondservant is one who willingly surrender his or her life to God. Willingly surrender. And something about James, it's quite amazing that Jesus appeared to him. And James was like, I surrender and I'm willing to do whatever you tell me to do. W.A. Criswell, the the former pastor of First Baptist Dallas, um, He's went on to glory now, but he tells a story of a man who was desperately ill and he was in the hospital. And, and back in the day, um, whenever someone was getting ready to die in the hospital, thank God they don't do that now, but they would put a screen around the bed of a patient who was getting ready to die. And that screen alerted the nurses, this person's getting ready to pass. So one of the nurses came up to this guy who was still conscious, he was still awake, And they put the screen around him and the guy screamed out, oh, my God, help me. He started praying, Jesus, save me. I'm a sinner. I'm lost. And he started crying out to God. And the nurse came back a little bit later and said, sir, I'm so sorry we made a mistake. Uh, You weren't really dying. We came to the wrong bed. And the guy said, actually, you came to the right bed because I gave my life to Jesus Christ because he thought he was dying. So you never know what the trial is going to teach you. You never know what God's going to do. Many of you are familiar with the Salvation Army, who was started by William Booth. Uh, I want to read a quote from him. When, when someone asked him, how were you so successful you know, with starting the Salvation Army, all that you did, listen to this quote. He says, I will tell you the secret. God has had all of me that there was. There have been men with greater brains than I, even greater opportunities. 
But from the day that I got the poor of London on my heart and caught a vision of what Jesus Christ could do with me and with them, on that day I made up my mind that God would have all of William Boother was. And if there was anything in the power of the Salvation Army, it's because God had all the adoration of my heart, all the power of my will, and all of the influence of my life. Now, isn't that a beautiful? He basically said there's people smarter than me, people that came out of greater families than I did, but because I gave all of me, I surrendered like a bondservant. That's why God made me successful. D.L. Moody, one thing that impacted his life, he heard Henry Barlay once say, God is doing something, and the world has yet to see what God will do through someone whose life is fully surrendered to him. God is yet to see, the world is yet to see what God will do through someone whose life is fully surrendered to him. And D.L. Moody, as a young man, said, I'm that man. And we know the story of how God drastically used D.L. Moody. I wonder how many people are like that here at Arden First. Those who are listening online, that God, you have all of me. Every known part, I surrender completely and totally to you. Notice who he's writing to back in verse 1, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad greetings. He's writing to Christians who are being persecuted. Jewish, Jewish Christians who, because of their faith, they're being persecuted. They're spread to kingdom come. We know from Acts chapter 8, let me read a verse for you. It says, Saul was one of those witnesses, and he agreed completely to the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers except the apostles were scattered Throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. So here's the thing. Whenever you're going through a trial. You have to pause to consider the cause. God why am I going through this difficulty? What are you trying to teach me? And here's the key wisdom principle. This is not always true. This is true most of the time. The quicker you learn the lesson. The quicker you get out of the trial. The only exception I can think of. Is thorns in the flesh. Where God's given you something. So you're fully dependent on him. Or what we call lifelong trials, like someone's born blind, we know that they'll eventually receive their sight. But with those exceptions, the majority of our trials here on earth are temporary. So the quicker you learn the lesson, guess what? The quicker you get out. So I want us to learn that lesson as we go through James. So pause to consider the cause. God, why am I going through this? The second thing on how to have joy in the midst of a trial is this. You need to look at the bigger picture. Look at verse 3. It says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. The testing of your faith produces patience. Many of you know Warren Wiersbe, the famous Bible teacher. He once had a secretary that was going through such pain. Uh, it just a long list. Her husband became blind. Um, he was spending a long time in the hospital. She had a stroke. And Warren Wiersbe said, I'm so sorry, I'm I'm praying for you that God will help you through this. And his secretary said this, pray that I'll have the wisdom not to waste all of this. His secretary knew that every trial is a teacher. Every trial, you don't want to waste it. Many of us have been through trials in life and we've wasted them. We haven't learned the lesson. So guess what? We keep repeating the same trial over and over. And if you realize that a trial is trying to teach you something. So... It says that we should know this. It says knowing that the testing of our faith produces patience. That word knowing, it's the Greek word that means knowing through experience. 
Did you guys realize that whenever you go through a trial and you pass the test, usually there's a promotion that happens? I mean, think back to your grade school, middle school days. Some of you are in high school and college. Whenever you pass the end of grade test, what usually happened? You got promoted to the next grade. Trials are very much similar. God sends or allows trials to build us up, not to bring us down. And that brings up the next question some of you are asking. So what's the difference between temptations and trials? Or is there a difference? If you look at your listening guide, temptations do not come from God and are meant to bring you down. Trials, on the other hand, are allowed by God and intended to bring you up. One is sent to make you worse, that's temptation, and the other is permitted or allowed and sent to make you better, that's trials. So if you look at your list, in my research, I composed some basic differences between trials and temptations. And just a little preview, weeks to come, we're going to talk about temptations. But what's interesting that uh, kind of puzzled me, it's often the same Greek word for trial and temptation. It's just what the outcome of it is. One is meant to make you better And one is meant to make you worse. So let's look at your listening guide. Trials, they should bring you joy. And you're like, how is that possible? Well, you don't rejoice the fact that you're going through a trial. You rejoice to the fact that God is with you in the trial and he's bringing character out of it. So it's not some negative thinking like, thank God bad things are happening. It's the mentality that even though bad things are happening, God's going to bring good out of this. Right? All things work together for what? For good to those who love God. So if you're going through a trial, you don't rejoice that bad things are happening. You have joy because, look at verse 3, knowing that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So that's the second thing. It produces patience or endurance. And the Greek word for that is, it's the imagery of steadfastness. It's the imagery of stick-to-itness. Some of you have traveled overseas to uh, Europe, it's different places, and you see those Roman columns that were still standing after everything's gone. And the idea is trials make you like a pillar that you can steadfast under heavy weight. It makes your character strong. It helps you develop Christian maturity, the next point on your list. It helps you to be so dependent upon God that you lack nothing. God wants you to depend upon Him in all things. It allows us to fully depend on Him. Past trials bring about treasures. We'll learn later in James, it talks about you'll receive the crown of life. It allows us to depend more fully on God's grace. It allows us to bring closer to God. And trials are meant to add your life. It's an addition equation, not a subtraction. Now, if you look at the temptation side, we know that temptations never come from God. Temptations target a weak spot to bring us down. They come from three sources. The world, that's the negative influences around us. The flesh, that's your own sinful nature. And the devil. Temptations are meant to drag us away from God. The Bible says that sin gives birth to death. Temptations are intended to deceive us and discourage us. They promise us a lot of stuff that leave us empty. You ever notice that sin is fun? No, Nobody would do it if it wasn't fun. So sin promised you this is going to be great, you'll enjoy it, but it leaves you empty, leaves you with a void. Temptations are meant to take away from your life. It's a minus equation. So notice that the purpose of hard times in your life, in your listening guide, is to develop your character and help you to develop perseverance in your walk with God. Humans are kind of like tea bags. 
whenever you're putting hot water, your true colors come out. Have you ever thought about that? All of us are like tea bags. When we're in hot water, our true colors come out. All right, let's go look at number three. How do we not just survive, but how do we thrive and have joy in the midst of the storm? Number three, don't jump ship before you arrive on the other side. Look at verse four. It says, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So we see here that patience is not just a fruit of the spirit, but it's also a work of the spirit. You ever thought about that? We know that the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, right? So it's not just a fruit of the spirit, but it's a work of the spirit. The spirit is working in you and working on you. And this idea of patience is perseverance. You're willing to stick to it. You're willing to have that ability to keep going. Obedience is like going in the same direction over a long period of time. Notice that the goal of every trial here in James is to complete something that's lacking in your character. James says that God wants your care to be mature and lacking nothing. So the next time you find yourself in a crisis of any kind, and by the way, trials, they're small and they're large. They come in all shapes and sizes. So don't diminish someone's trial. You know, someone may be saying, I'm struggling financially, and you're like, big deal, I'm getting ready to have a heart surgery. Both are trials, but there are different shapes and sizes. And God's going to teach you no matter how small or how large the trial is. But to the person going through it, every trial is serious. And trials teach us that there's a better world to come. God is preparing us for something better. I read this story recently about a boy who had a badly deformed foot. He was only eight years old. And being a father of four, the story kind of broke my heart. And this is back in the day when medicine was developing and they were still uh, perfecting surgery. So he went to one doctor and they did two surgeries on the little boy's foot. And the foot came out just as deformed as before. And the doctor said, I'm sorry, the foot will never get better. Your little boy will always walk with a limp. But the father wouldn't take that for an answer. So he found another doctor. And the other doctor basically said, I don't know, we're going to give it our best. So he did it. He did a surgery. And then he put this odd looking box on the little boy's foot. And the box had screws from every angle. And the idea was to flatten and straighten the foot after the surgery. It would be put in this box and the foot would be set. The only painful part of this is the father had to turn the screws every day. So every day the father would turn the screws and both he and the boy would cry together because the pain was so severe. And he would beg his dad, dad, take this box off my foot. This is killing me. The father would cry and say, I know, son, but this is going to help you get better. So every day they would tighten the screw a little bit more. And the boy would experience this excruciating pain. But what he didn't realize is the pain eventually led to his foot being healed and well. So when they took the box off, the boy's foot was whole, just like the other. So you don't know why you're going through what you're going. Sometimes it feels like the screws are being turned and the tears come. And you know what? God weeps with you. He feels your pain. Trials are not to be looked down with like it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. But the good thing about the Christian life is God is with you in the midst of your trial. Did you realize the Holy Spirit as a Christian lives inside of you? So whatever you go through, God is going through with you. He's the God who is Emmanuel. He's the God with us. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit prays for you 
with words and groans that words can't even express. He's praying for you. So my friends who are going through hard times, hang in there. God is working something in you and through you. Amen. Number four, how to have joy. And by the way, joy is not happiness. Joy is irrespective of circumstances. It's this inner peace that Jesus is with me and for me. And I'm going to be okay no matter what. That's joy. Number four, ask for God's perspective. Isn't it easy when you're going through the hardest time of your life to say, God, why? Why am I going through this health issue? God, all these people over here are healthy and looking good, and they're not even Christian. Look at me. I'm a Christian, and my body's struggling. Or, God, I thought retirement was going to be so great, laying out on the beach with my soulmate, and I spend more time in the hospital room than I do on vacation. What's the deal? No matter what your circumstances are, you can ask for God's perspective. Look at verse 5. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without finding reproach, and it will be given to him. So the wisdom here is God's perspective on your situation. James says, if you lack wisdom in your situation, not just wisdom in general, which it could apply to that, but wisdom on God, why am I going through this hard time? You take a step back, you consider why, you consider it joy because God's working. And then you ask God, what are you trying to teach me? Did you know, how many school teachers do we have in here? I know we have a few. The teacher is usually silent when the students are taking the test. You ever notice that's how in your trials it seems like God's quiet? Like, God, why? But James 1.5 says you can ask wisdom and God will give it liberally. That's the word freely. And it says, without reproach. In other words, God's not a fault-finding God. Satan will remind you of your past, but if your past has been forgiven, the Bible says God will never hold it against you. It's been separated as far as the east is from the west. It's almost like, to, to paint a picture, it's like, you know, you're going through something hard, and Satan will remind you, you remember what you did last month? God doesn't hear your prayer. Listen, don't listen to the voice of the enemy. God says, ask me. I love you, and I want to give you wisdom. On your listening guide, a few points under your number four. The more difficult life gets, the more you'll need God's perspective. So if you're going through a crisis right now, ask Christ to be with you in the midst of your crisis. Don't doubt in the dark what God has revealed to you in the light. Many of you are doubting God's promises because times are hard. Listen, friend, just because life is hard doesn't mean God has changed or he's changed his plan for your life. He's still a good God even if the world is bad. And He's still for you even when everyone's against you. Amen? Number five, don't be a roller coaster Christian. How many of you enjoy uh, Six Flags or Carowinds? Anybody? I know I do. What's really fun about a roller coaster is when you go up, everything's good. But you know how when it's creaking along those little wheels and it almost stops and you look down and you're like, Oh my, I'm getting ready to lose my lunch. And you go down and it's just like, it's so scary. But once you get past that, you're okay. That's fun at amusement parks, amusement parks, but it's not okay in your Christian life. And many of us experience our faith up and down, up and down. We're riding our feelings and we're not riding our faith. We're riding our circumstances and we're not riding truth. Because feelings change. Can I get a uh-huh? 
Circumstances are up and down. Happiness is fleeting. But truth and God's love and God's favor is with you. Truth never changes. Amen. So I love how James gives us a caveat. He's like, by the way, God will give you wisdom. But there's one thing. Verse 6 says, but let him ask in faith. So there's one prerequisite, undivided faith. He says, let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like the wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. You think about waves. I know uh, some of my family just got back from the beach. A wave is blown horizontally and tossed vertically. Blown horizontally and tossed vertically. Some of us are like that in our Christian faith, up and down and all around. And James says, listen, you remember, you've got to be steadfast. You've got to be consistent. Don't be a roller coaster Christian. I'm up and down and... If life is good, God is good. If life's bad, then I'm I'm questioning my faith. James says, you're not going to get anywhere in life like that. Know that God wants you to seek him. If you'll read uh, Hebrews 11.6 with me on your listening guide, it says, but without faith is impossible to please God. For he must believe, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So if you pray with unbelief, You can't expect God to answer your prayer with a yes. So inside of many of us, there's a battle raging in our soul. In the same room of your heart, some of us have doubting Deborah. Sorry if your name's Deborah, but doubting Deborah. And you have faithful Francis. And you need to give doubting Deborah an eviction notice. Doubt, you have no more place in my heart. Faithful Francis, you're there. So don't let the twin sisters, I should say, distant sisters of doubt and faith, they can't reside comfortably in the same heart. Number six, and this is our final point, you have to fully pick which side you're on, God or the world. Notice James says in verse eight, a double-minded man is what? Unstable in all his ways. Now, what's beautiful in the the Greek word picture, double-minded literally means two souls. Anything with two souls, it's like a battle going on inside. It's like the idea of two faces looking in the opposite direction. What James is trying to say is your allegiance can't be divided. You can't have one foot on the cross and one foot in the world. It's just not going to work. Otherwise, you'll, you'll remain a roller coaster Christian. On Sunday, you're... High and Jesus is good on Monday when you have to go back to work. Life is hard. So James says, don't be double minded. Brother Martin, you'll like this story right here. The story of a judge, whether it's true or not, I don't know. But uh, he was in a small village and two close friends had this tiff with each other. They were upset about something really small. And the first man came to the judge and said, judge, my friend did this, 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 this. And he's wrong. And the judge said, you were absolutely right. So the next friend came when it was his turn and he laid out his case. My friend did this, 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 this. And the judge says, you are absolutely right. So the judge's wife, when they got home, said, honey, you told both men they're absolutely right. You can't, both men can't be right. And the judge looked at his wife and said, you are absolutely right. (laughs) You can't be double-minded. You will be unstable in all your ways. If you look at your listening guide, if you want to have joy in the midst of your storm, you have to have undivided loyalty. 
So I want to encourage you today. Many of you find yourselves sitting in the seat of a storm. And life is raging against you. You've got the doctor's report. You've looked at the bank account. Um, situations with your kids. Looking for a job. Crisis with family members. The list goes on and on. James says when you face trials. Not if. Trials are going to come. But James says you can consider it pure joy. Because God is developing perseverance in you. He's developing fortitude so that you can withstand the weight of life. So here's your take-home truth. Every worldly trial is a heavenly teacher who helps your character match your calling. So my challenge to you is never waste a trial again. If you're going through a trial, you don't wish it upon yourself, but if you're in one, know that every trial is a teacher. And God is trying to teach you something. And generally speaking, the quicker you learn the lesson, the quicker you get out of the trial. The children of wilderness, the children of Israel spent how many years in the wilderness? Forty years. Jesus went to the wilderness and spent how long? Only 40 days. Jesus learned the lessons. The children of Israel didn't. You want 40 years of 40 days. So your action step for those of you who are in a trial is this. Pray that God will give you his perspective, his wisdom on your situation. So I would encourage you to find someone that has a little more perspective that's not in your situation. Have a cup of coffee, lunch with them, and just say, here's my situation. I've prayed about it. I've asked God's perspective. I'm seeking perspective in the counselor of, uh, in the, in the multitude of counselors. And you know what will happen with God's wisdom and other Christian believers? God's going to give you a perspective of why. And it may not come overnight. It may be some time. And sometimes you don't discover it until the other side of the trial. And you're like, now I know why. But know this, that even if your world is bad, God is still good. He loves you. He has a wonderful plan for you. And today, I just want you to, just to pray with me in just a moment. And for those who are believers, just give whatever situation you're, you're going through to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need wisdom. For those of you who need to surrender your loyalty completely, as, as D.L. Moody once heard the guy said, the world is yet to see what God can do through a man or woman who's fully surrendered. Some of you may be, I'm, I want to be that person. And there may be one here today that doesn't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And if you're going through a trial, guess what? What's the purpose if you don't have Jesus with you? So I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray to receive Christ. If you will, please pray with me. Father, we thank you that you use all things. We thank you that even when we're going through trials, even when we're going through hardships, that God, you're with us and for us. And right now, with everyone's head bowed and eyes closed, would there be someone that would just lift up their hand and just say, Timothy, I'm going through a trial. Pray for me. Thank you. I see those hands. Father, you see the hands lifted up. I pray that you would give them a heavenly perspective of why they're going through it. I pray you'd give them wisdom to know how to get through it. And I pray that they would see that you're developing character even in the crisis. Father, help them now. If there be one here that you've never asked Jesus into your life, it's being a Christian is kind of like getting married. You have to say, I do. And you have to be willing to forsake all others and follow Jesus. If you've never given your life to Jesus, right where you're sitting... If you will pray a prayer of faith, just your own words, say something like, Jesus, 
I believe that you're good and I believe that you're God. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and rose again on the third day. You lived a life I couldn't live. I know that to get to heaven I have to be perfect and I'm far from that. Jesus, I want to ask you to forgive me of my sins. I want to ask you to come into my life. Give me a new heart, a new start. Make me a new creation. And thank you for giving me eternal life. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, please see one of us after the service. Father, thank you for all you're doing. Give us grace in the midst of the storm. And help us not just to survive it, but help us to thrive with joy and with peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This time, if you please stand for the closing song. I'll be at the front and Adam and Judy. If you have any prayer needs, we'll pray for you. If you just want to come and kneel, we'll pray for you as well. So come as the Spirit leads you.